0: what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country you're listening to oh brother when art thou and now here's your host neil white
1: Welcome to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? I'm your host, Neil White, joined as always by my brother, David. And David, we're recording this podcast a little bit earlier than usual because I am headed to Aruba, where it is nice and sunny and warm and there is no snow. So I just wanted to rub that in a little bit.
0: Thanks for that, Neil.
1: Anytime, buddy. Anytime. <laughs> If our podcast listeners are already somewhere where it's sunny and warm, well, we're jealous of you, but uh, me, not quite as much because I am on my way to a whole week of vitamin D. Can't wait. Uh, But in the meantime, David, we've got a podcast to do. You ready to talk about some history? I suppose I could talk about some history, Neil. All right, then. I have to ask you the question that's in the title of the podcast. Oh, brother,
0: when art thou? Neil, it's the 14th of March, 1793 and just outside of queenston ontario chloe cooley a black woman is being dragged forcibly into a small boat bound for the united states against her will this doesn't sound good
1: at all david of course in 1793 the
0: united states
1: is still a slave
0: country it's even worse than that neil in 1793 canada Is still a slave country and in point of fact Chloe Cooley is a slave
1: so this is not a good situation at all what led to this David the
0: place to start perhaps is with one sergeant Vrooman sergeant Adam Vrooman lately of the Queens Rangers and the Queens Rangers were a British regiment raised in what is now the United States of America and they were raised to fight in the American Revolution on the British side. So when the American Revolution ended, as you can imagine, they were not very popular in the US.
1: Right, so they moved to Canada which was still Britain at that time? Exactly.
0: Which is how practically everybody who's going to be involved in this little drama ends up at Queenston. In point of fact, Queenston is settled specifically as a new town to be open for settlement for what the British would call loyalists coming from the American colonies. Right, where is Queenston, David? Queenston is very close to Niagara, the Niagara Falls kind of region in what's modern-day Ontario. Right, and right on the border with the United
1: States of America.
0: Right next to the border, yes. Which is one of the reasons it's on the border, it's on a good river route, it's convenient to reach. That's one of the reasons why you get these settlers fleeing the results of the American Revolution ending up at Queenston. And some of those who flee the american revolution are former important people in the american colonies who sided with the british because the british system was working for them and one of those groups of course in the economic situation of the time are slave owners who picked the wrong side and when they flee to upper canada they bring their slaves with them is that how chloe cooley comes to canada that's how chloe cooley ends up in Canada, and very shortly after her first owner arrives in Upper Canada, he starts worrying that in this new environment where slavery before the arrival of these loyalists has been very uncommon, not unknown or illegal, but extremely rare, he's worried that he's not going to be able to make the kind of money out of owning slaves that he previously did and also that it's not going to be socially accepted in the colonies. So he sells her to a willing buyer who's a little bit more enthusiastic about the whole idea, which is how she ends up being owned by Sergeant Vrooman, formerly of the Queen's Rangers.
1: Okay, so... Does that bring us to March 1793,
0: David? Almost. There's just one additional element to put into play. John Grave Simcoe. In an interesting coincidence, John Grave Simcoe was the colonel, the commanding officer of the Queen's Rangers during the American Revolutionary War because valentine's day is not too far past that i can slip in a reference i think i'll just mention that one of the very first valentine's notes or cards that we have in north american history is actually some terrible poetry by john grave simcoe a young officer of the queen's rangers Writing to a woman who turned out to be an American spy working for George Washington, collecting information from him.
1: Maybe it's a good thing his poetry wasn't that good then. He wasn't able to uh, seduce her and end up with an American spy. Anyway,
0: uh, that was just an aside. But getting back to it.
1: It's a Valentine's tradition to this day, David. Men writing
0: bad poetry to women. I won't ask what you did this year that has you trying to justify that, Neil. But getting back to our main story john simcoe at the end of the american uh, revolutionary war ends up also indirectly coming to canada but unlike loyalist settlers fleeing to canada to avoid the consequences of picking the wrong side in the revolution he goes by way of britain and he gets formally appointed by by the british government as the new lieutenant governor of upper canada upper canada of course being what will eventually become ontario
1: right so being the lieutenant governor that's pretty much the highest role in ontario at that
0: time he's the boss at this point he's actually sent one of his jobs is to set up a a democratic system to provide some level of democratic oversight in this new colony but that didn't exist before he gets there and the British government gives him just a very broad set of powers to decide how he's gonna run this colony he's the man he's in charge in a lot of ways so he's the top
1: man in Ontario
0: how does he enter into our story well the thing is and remember Adam Vrooman, who's the one making a decision in March 1793, is a former sergeant in his regiment. He knows John Grave Simcoe. He knows who he is. John Grave Simcoe is an abolitionist, one of the early members of the Society to Abolish the Slave Trade an early supporter of guys in Britain like William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson. He's not a pro-slavery kind of person, and now he's in charge of the colony. So guys like Adam Vrooman start getting worried that maybe he'll choose to free the slaves, which would lose them a bunch of money, obviously, because they own slaves and use them to make money. So suddenly... Vrooman decides, this girl I just bought, I've got to sell her into a different jurisdiction so that at least I'll be making back some of the money that I invested in buying her. Right, a really vile and crass calculation by modern
1: standards, but at the time, this was how they were thinking, is that their property, they could lose it if John Graves Simcoe decided to, say, free the slaves like you suggested, so... He wants to get Chloe out of Ontario.
0: Exactly. So he sells her to somebody on the New York side of the Canada-American borderline and then tries to ship her out. But Chloe Cooley has also heard that John Graves Simcoe, the new lieutenant governor, is a known abolitionist. She doesn't want to go. Even more than just the general, nobody wants to be treated as property and sold away from their home. Not that this is her original home, but certainly it would be traumatic, but she's got a more immediate point, which is she doesn't want to leave because maybe if she gets to stay, she might get freed. Yeah, of
1: course that would be a crown jewel for her, a good reason to
0: stay. So, what happens, David? Well, there's a guy watching all of this. Another former Queens Ranger. They're everywhere. Around Queenston, which was settled largely by people from the regiment or their immediate families. Yes, they are. But he is different from Adam Vrooman, not just in the sense that he doesn't own slaves, because Peter Wilson is black. So he was a black member of the Queen's Rangers. That's right. They may have been fighting for a government which absolutely permitted the enslavement of persons of African descent, but that doesn't mean that they were too proud to recruit soldiers of African descent.
1: So Peter Wilson's a free man after his military service or is he still in the Queen's
0: Rangers? He's a free man, his military service is over, he watches this happen and he just can't intervene. Vrumen has brought some friends along to make sure that this all goes smoothly. The potential buyer has also brought some thugs along. And so he has to stand and watch as this violent and traumatic kidnapping basically happens right in front of him. And he is not happy about it. Yeah, I can imagine he wouldn't be. So what can he do david well he too knows something about john grave simcoe and his rumored abolitionist sympathies so what he does is he heads to york to what would become toronto the capital of upper canada to go to the lieutenant governor and make a complaint make an appeal ask that some kind of justice be done Uh, to respond to this outrage.
1: Would the Lieutenant Governor David meet with Peter Wilson, an ordinary man, even if they had served in the same regiment during the war?
0: Well, it's hard to say, but as it happens, Upper Canada, like any British colony of the time, is a society ruled by laws. And one of those is that you're allowed to make petitions of complaint to the government And that's exactly what Peter Wilson does. He finds somebody else who happened to be present and witnessed the event to get a eyewitness backing him up. And he makes a complaint arguing that he thinks that what happened was criminal and asking that the lieutenant governor in his role as the attorney general of the province bring a prosecution, do something about this. And does the Lieutenant Governor do something about it? Well, the first thing that Lieutenant Governor Simcoe does is he gets the actual Attorney General of Upper Canada, a guy by the name of John White. No relation to the White brothers. No relation to us, no. And asks him to bring a prosecution um, to respond to this, uh, which raises an interesting problem for John White, the Attorney General, Because in the British and Upper Canada law of the time, it's not really clear what law anybody thinks had been broken here. Like, it's clear what moral outrage had occurred, but it's all within the law, basically.
1: For those following Canadian politics today, David, I suppose it was a little different in terms of politicians putting pressure on attorney generals back then.
0: A slightly different attitude towards the whole thing, yes.
1: So, is John Graves Simcoe able to get John White to drum up some charges?
0: Well, John White does indeed bring a formal charge of public nuisance. Same law as you would bring against a noise complaint.
1: Which is obviously really minor compared to the real crime that's being committed here in in terms of slavery, but at the time, I suppose, was kind of a novel idea, a way to actually met out some justice.
0: Well, it gets worse. He brings it as into a court of law and promptly loses the case. The judges say, certainly it's terrible and awful and everything, but it's nothing that happened was illegal.
1: So where does this leave Peter Wilson and John Graves Simcoe?
0: Well, it leaves John Graves Simcoe angry. He is angry that in a colony where he is so important and so powerful, this can happen and there's nothing he can do about it. But then he remembers, hey, wait, I'm the lieutenant governor. I can bring laws, uh, I can bring bills rather, and put them in front of the legislative assembly of the province, which is not something that is still a power of lieutenant governors today that's long since been removed from what they can do. But back in 1793, his powers were pretty broad. So he's
1: going to bring a law doing what, David?
0: Well, he initially proposes a bill, an Act Against Slavery, as he titles it, which would just emancipate all the slaves in Ontario and also prohibit slavery. And this is 1793? This is 1793. So he's well ahead of his time. Well, you've got to remember, he's from Britain. And in Britain, in the 1770s, it's determined that you cannot own or import slaves to England, the physical island of England and Scotland. So in that sense... This is actually pretty normal. It's just that the British Empire, which included major slave-owning regions, including the Caribbean islands, which were notoriously a hellhole, which thousands of slaves would be shipped in every year and just die working the sugar plantations in terrible conditions. The law was specifically only for England and Scotland, not for the rest of the British Empire. So... It continued on in terrible ways, in terrible places. But this idea, the very first abolitionists, as I've said, guys like Granville Sharp, William Wilberforce, Thomas Clarkson, John Graves Simcoe actually knew some of those guys. So in that sense, it's not so remarkable after all. Okay, so what ends up happening then in Ontario, David? Well, the legislature hates the bill as written as initially proposed is there a reason for that are
1: they you know bought out by slave owners or is it something to do with the bill
0: well let me give you just one little fact so the legislative assembly has two houses just like modern legislatures one of them would be like our house of commons in the house of parliament called the legislative assembly itself and then an upper house known as the Executive Council. So there's 25 people on the Executive Council. 12 of them personally own slaves. So almost half, really half. Almost half, yes. Now that's a very large number of, of people who would have to pass this bill who personally own slaves and stand to lose a lot from this proposal right so this is
1: going to be tough to get through the upper chamber of the Ontario legislature at the
0: time exactly and even in the legislative assembly itself the lower house which is much more lower class as well as lower house and does not include nearly as many slave owners as a percentage of its makeup, there's still a lot of the members are recent immigrants from the US where slavery is legal and normal in many cases so there's not a huge body of support to pass the bill as written but this is when John White re-enters our tale. As the Attorney General, he's also the legal advisor for John Graves Simcoe on basically everything and he suggests a revised version of the bill a rewrite where they're going to ban the import of slaves into Upper Canada in any form ever again and also announce that anyone born from the entry into force of the act forwards in upper canada cannot be a slave for life they have to become free when they become 25 so everybody who currently owns slaves will continue to own those slaves but there will be no further slaves in ontario either from importation or from children being enslaved
1: so it's certainly not what you would ideally like to see in terms of an end to slavery but for the time this is potentially a way of ending slavery in Ontario.
0: Indeed and in a positive happy little note it passes and by doing so I've mentioned that England and Scotland also had laws banning slavery on their territory just as upper Canada now picked up but Those laws had been determined judicially. There had been court cases where judges had said there's no specific law legalizing slavery, and also slavery's just kidnapping people basically, so you can't do it uh, without a law legalizing it. But this was the first time in the history of the British Empire when slavery had been ended by the positive act Of an elected
1: legislature. Wow, so this is the first act that actually goes through a legislature rather than going through the common law and the judges to end slavery. That's quite the accomplishment, David, and all because of Peter Wilson and what he saw happening to Chloe Cooley. Exactly. What a great story, David, for Black History Month here in Canada. Thanks for telling us. Always happy today share one of these stories Neil well we're coming towards the end of the podcast but we do have a quiz as we always do Uh, we're going to play another quiz David like the one we played last week about famous firsts so this is the second time we're playing the first quiz on the podcast make sense makes sense to me All right. what decade did a woman first win the Pulitzer Prize
0: that is a tough one I really don't know, so I'll take a wild guess and say the 1920s.
1: You're right on, David. You're good at guessing in this uh, famous first game. Apparently. Edith Wharton won for the Age of Innocence in the 1920s. What century, David, was the first hourglass?
0: The first hourglass. Wow, that's got to be really old, I would imagine. Taking a wild guess, I'd say it's... Probably before Christ, so maybe the 2nd century B.C. Actually, it's a little bit
1: later than that. It's not until the 8th century A.D. that they came up with the hourglass, uh, and it was invented by a French monk. What decade was the first air mail flight, the first time mail was delivered by airplane,
0: David? By airplane. All right, well, the first flights are only in the... Early 1900s, if you're talking about practical flights, so I'm gonna guess that it took them until the 1910s to fly airmail. You're
1: right, it was the 1910s, fairly early on. 1911, the first airmail flight actually happened in India by Frenchman Henry Paquette.
0: What decade, David, was the first video game? The first video game. Well, I'm gonna guess the 1960s. This one's a bit of a trick question. It actually wasn't a
1: digital video game. It was in 1947. It was called the Cathode Ray Tube Amusement Device. And it was a missile simulator that used analog circuitry. So a bit of a trick there because it wasn't a digital video game like we're used to playing nowadays. Our last question here in this quiz, David. What century was the world's first opera? The world's first opera. Moving from video games to operas in terms of amusement.
0: Well, I'll make a wild guess and go for the 1400s.
1: It's actually a little bit later than that. The 1500s, actually, almost the 1600s is 1597. Jacopo Peri of Italy wrote Daphne, the world's first opera. Thanks for playing the quiz, David. Always happy to, Neil. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, if you like the podcast, go ahead and rate us. And you can also reach out to us on social media at when art thou or by email. Oh, brother, when art thou at outlook dot com. I'm headed to the beach, David. I'm going to download a few episodes and uh, go listen to the podcast somewhere where it's sunny. I certainly needed to
0: hear that, Neil.
1: I hope you enjoy the cold weather, and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next time.